0: Do you know what Jesus does? Have you ever just stopped to think, like, what what does Jesus do? I mean, what does he do with his time? I mean, is he just, other than holding the elements of the world together, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us that he does in Colossians chapter 2, that in him all things literally consist, that he holds the atoms and molecules together, even now as you're sitting here. But if you ever ask yourself, what does he do? What does Jesus do? Tonight I want to talk to you about two of those things that Jesus does. And these are his passions. These are what Jesus is passionate, passionate about. Jesus seeks and he saves. Jesus seeks and he saves. In Matthew's Gospel, which is the first book of the New Testament, Jesus was warning disciples about causing children to sin. And he said, he said, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and for you to be cast into the sea, for you to cause a little child to sin. And he's giving this warning about that. And he's obviously referencing some children in their midst, and he's giving this deep, deep warning concerning sin. But he goes on to tell them a parable. And it's, a, it's the parable of the lost sheep. And in the parable, a man has 100 sheep. You're familiar with this parable. A man has 100 sheep, and one of the sheep goes astray. One is lost. And so he leaves, he's, the, 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 the parable says that the man leaves the 99 sheep that he has, and he goes out to find the one sheep that has gone astray. And this is what he does. Earlier in the book of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. This is what he does. And so the man in the parable goes out to save, to seek and to save that one sheep that was lost. Now when we think about that story, when you think about the story of the 100 sheep, and maybe you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you like to think of your, yourself at this point as being one of the 99 sheep. Yeah, I, I'm one of the 99, I'm not, one, I'm not the one that he has to go out and find, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the 99. Christians like to think of themselves as being one of the 99 who didn't go astray, who didn't get lost. But the Bible tells us that we, all of us, every last one of us here, every last one of us that is here present tonight, that we were the ones that went astray. We were the ones that were lost. Isaiah 53 verse 6 puts it this way, and you'll see it up on the screen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so, yeah, we were the one. We were the one lost sheep that Jesus went out to seek and to find. And he desperately wants to save if you will turn to him. And so Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the way Jesus put his mission. When Jesus, you remember another story in the Gospels, remember the the story of the tax collector named Zacchaeus. You remember him? We used to sing a song in kids' church years ago when we were kids. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in... A sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see, right? And, uh, well, you know what? I've been in Jericho, and, and I walked by that place where they said, yeah, this is the tree that they believe is the sycamore tree that, G- that Zacchaeus climbed in. Now, I-, I don't know if it was the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up to see Jesus in, but I tell you what, I tried to climb it. And I couldn't do it. I mean, it just couldn't be done. I mean, it, the, the, the trunk of this tree was like as big around as one of these stages. And it was just a massive tree. But you'll remember on that particular occasion that Jesus looked up in the tree and he saw Zacchaeus up there. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house. I'm going to go to your house. Now, this was a shocker to the community. I mean, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, tax collectors were considered the, 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 the corrupt uh, the corrupt of the day. You know, they were like the guy, you know, we don't like these guys. And I, I don't think much has changed, really, in 2,000 years. <laughs> Amen. And so Zacchaeus was up there, and Jesus said, I am going to come to your house. I want to be with you. I want to come to your house. And so Jesus goes to the corrupt tax collector's house. Why? Why did Jesus go to a tax collector's house, a, a, a man who was considered to be the, the, probably one of the most corrupt men in the entire city. Jesus tells us at the end of that passage, there in Luke chapter 19, Luke 19, 10, it says, you'll see it up on the screen, it says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so again, this is what Jesus does. If you ever wonder, what, what does Jesus do? What does he do? He seeks and he saves. Now this is revealed and depicted in an incredible way, in the life of a man in the Old Testament. And his name is David. And this man named David, he actually became the king of Israel. And we want to take a look at this passage tonight that we are going to be in, in Acts chapter 13, a couple verses, verses 22 and 23. And in our text tonight, Paul, the apostle Paul and his companions have Gone, they're going through from city to city and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they come to this particular place, this particular city that's called Antioch in Pisidia. And Paul goes into the synagogue in Pisidia and and he and he walks in with a, with his little entourage. You know, Paul, did you know Paul had an entourage? Yeah, Paul, Paul comes walking into the synagogue in Pisidia, and and the men of the, the synagogue said, Hey, Paul, do you have anything to say? Well, you asked the wrong guy to, if he had got anything to say. you know. Yeah, that's, you read it earlier in the chapter in Acts 13. They asked him if he had anything to say. Certainly, Paul had something to say. And he gets up and he begins to declare and to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell how God wanted to save the world and to save Israel. And so he, he puts this out there to them. And so he begins to preach the gospel of Christ. And in the middle of Paul's gospel presentation, we find our text tonight. Where Paul talks about what God did with a man named David. A man named David. Our text tonight tells us that God sought and found David. And through the one that would be, through him, he would save the world. Through David's seed, he would save the world. So tonight, let's take a look, a brief look at David and see why his life encapsulates the truth that Jesus seeks and saves. Tonight, I've got two points for you. The first one is this, Jesus seeks the lost. Let's read it in Acts chapter 13. Pick it up verse 22, if you've got your Bible there. It says this, and when he had removed him, just pause right there, that's speaking of Saul. Saul was the king of Israel and he was removed. And so when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave the testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, the man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Let's stop right there. Verse 22. So Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost, and Jesus has sought and is seeking you. Yeah, that's right. Jesus seeks the lost, and he is seeking and looking after you. Now, some, when you say Jesus is seeking something, they say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's kind of an incoherent thought. I mean, if you're telling me that God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, how can he, be, how can he lose something, and how can he be seeking after something? I mean, that, to me, doesn't make sense. And I've actually... I've actually had that exact conversation with an atheist who says, you know, God doesn't seek after anything, but the reality is that they've got the wrong picture of someone seeking after something. God is not the proverbial old man who's lost his marbles and is seeking for his lost marbles in the middle of the floor. No, that's not the picture of God. God is one who's going to and fro throughout the earth, and he's looking for... particular people who are going to call upon him, who are going to believe upon him, who are going to love him and want to be saved and want to be a part of his family and kingdom. And so God is going out to and fro and he's seeking out these type of people. God is the omnipotent creator of the world who has made mankind and made you and given every person the free will to choose their own course and path or to choose the path to God and to life that can only be found in Jesus. So God is seeking, but he's seeking who will respond to him. He's seeking the heart who will love him and follow him with everything. Now, in our text tonight that we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, Paul tells the people in Antioch of Pisidia, he tells them on that particular Saturday night, yeah, it was a Saturday. And here we are on a Saturday. And Paul told those people there on that particular day that God made David the king of Israel after Saul. And before God made him king, he found and he sought and found David. Before he made David king, he sought after David, and he found David. Amen? Paul says that this is what God had to say about David. There in the verse that we read, it says, And to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And so, wow, this is the testimony of God about David. It almost makes me wonder what is God's testimony about me? What's God's testimony about you? If God wrote a, if there was a verse in the Bible that that said, "Here's the testimony about Darren," or "Here's the testimony about Christopher," this is what God has to say. This is what God's testimony of David was—that He found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after His own heart. Amen. And so, what an incredible testimony! What an incredible testimony! What I find interesting here, and what I love, is that God found David, and that David was a man after God's own heart. This is, when God sought and found David, what did he find? He found that David was a man after his own heart. We're going to take a, look, a little bit of a look, look at David, and we're going to look at three aspects of David's heart that tell us why he was a man after God's own heart. And as we do, we can look at our own lives, we can look at our own hearts, and see if we have that heart that David had, if we have a heart that's a heart after God's own heart. And so David, David's heart toward God could be described in three ways. And I have three words to describe David's heart. The first one is belief, that he had belief. David had belief. David, as, you, as many know, he was, as a young man, he was a young shepherd. And he kept watch over his father's flocks. He looked after his father, Jesse's uh, had flocks. And he looked after those sheep. And he tended those sheep. And he took care of those sheep. And and as, and, and as it were, there were times when uh, wild animals, wild beasts would come in and try to, to come and, and, and take one of those sheep or two or three or however many they could get their hands on. And there was a couple occasions. One, where, where a lion uh, kind of... Uh, stood against David. And, 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 and as David defended the sheep, he, he took out the lion as he trusted in God. And on another occasion, there was a bear. And, and David, defending the sheep, he killed the bear. And So he killed a lion, and he killed a bear. And then one day, he found himself de- delivering some goods to his brothers on the front lines of war. And there was the giant Goliath of the Philistines. And Goliath is just there and he's taunting Israel. And 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 just it's just it's like a standstill, and there's a standoff, and 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 just he's taunting Israel and saying, Hey, send out your best warrior and let's do this thing. And he's just taunting God and all the rest of it. And here David happens to be there on this particular day, this particular occasion, and he says, Well, I'll go. I'll go fight the Philistine. You know, no one seemed to be volunteering. And David says, well, I'll go and I'll volunteer and I'll go out. And look at what David said when he did this. It's found in 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. You'll see it up on the screen. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine, Goliath. And so what what, what did you see in David's heart on this particular occasion? You saw belief. You saw that he had trust for God. Now, when you look at belief, belief isn't just, if you believe in God, that's not saying, well, God exists. Well, there's a God in heaven. Believing in God, from a biblical standpoint, is trusting in him. Having faith that that you're putting all your faith in him. You're trusting in him. You're you're, you're looking to him. And so so David looked to, to God to protect him when the lion was coming after him. And when the bear was coming after him, and now he's standing in front of this giant, and he says, God delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. He's going to take care of me when I go up against this Philistine too. Why? Because he had a belief. He had a trust. His heart was a trusting heart. And and so David had a heart that was after God's own heart. Amen? Another characteristic of David's heart that he had is this, love. He had a loving heart. David had a loving heart in david 's heart. there was a deep love for God. David loved the Lord with all of his heart. You could say you could definitely put it that way. He wrote many, many songs, worship songs of the day. I mean he had albums he had you know he he wrote worship songs he was pumping out songs there's a whole book in the Bible filled with his songs uh, and and many of the songs that we sing are, are basically taken directly out of those passages of Scripture uh, that we sing unto the Lord. And David was that kind of guy. Came across a Scripture just this week in a Bible study that I was listening to um, that in 1 Kings, it says that Solomon actually wrote over a 1,000 songs. And I was thinking about that. That's like a that's like 100 albums worth. If you have 10 songs on an album, I mean, that's like a 100 albums. I mean, he was like... He was like, you know, a rocker. You know, he, he, just, you know, he was in the Hall of Fame uh, in, in, in those days. And of course, we all know of King Solomon. Amen. And David was always writing these songs and it was just depicting what was in his heart and what was in his heart was a deep love for God. He had a love for God. In fact, I'm going to reference one of the Psalms that he wrote, Psalm 18, verses one and two. And this is what David said. I will love you, O Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust." You look at the heart of David, he loved the Lord. He wrote about his love for the Lord. You could just see it's just it's just, just oozing out of him. Just like I just saw this the other night, it was, I guess Kelly Clarkson made everybody cry the other night. Did you see this? Anybody see this? No. Good. I guess you didn't catch it. But anyways, she sang a song and just had the whole entire audience in tears, just bawling. David wrote songs of his deep love and admiration of the Lord. He loved God with all of his heart. There was another song that he wrote to the Lord, and it's Psalm 103. And I want to read you the first verse. It actually will not be on the screen. But it says this. You'll be familiar. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. David was amazed at who the Lord is and all that he had done. And he just wanted to bless the Lord. He just wanted to love the Lord. Deep down in David's heart was love for the Lord. Deep down in his heart, a desire to bless the Lord. And so he he had a, a believing heart. He had a loving heart. And thirdly, he had a loyal heart. David had a loyal heart. David had a loyal heart, and he was loyal to God. Loyalty, I think, is a great attribute of a heart. Um, David wrote the 23rd Psalm, probably the the most famous of his songs that he wrote. In fact, there's probably a good amount of people here tonight that could quote it, all six verses. Amen? Raise your hand if you can quote the 23rd Psalm. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to read verse 6 for you tonight. It's going to be up on the screen. And it says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's David saying there? He's saying, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going anywhere, because my heart and my being is just rock solid, put down in the house of the Lord, and I am 100% loyal to the God of God. Who's, the, who's my Savior. Amen. Amen? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in the house. I'm going to dwell in God's house forever. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to be in another family. I want to be in God's family. I want to be in His family. I want to be in His house. I want to be in His kingdom. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a loyal, loyal heart that he had. Now, some people are fickle. Some people, rather than having a loyal heart, they have a fickle heart. Some people change their minds with every new situation or troubled path. They say, well, if it's going to be like this, then I'm out of here. I'm always going to... Be. And, and David said, it doesn't matter what it's like. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. It could be trouble. It could be uh, my enemy staring down and, uh, on me, bearing down on me. But my heart's decision is that I'm going to dwell in the heart, in the house of the Lord forever. Not David. David said, I'm going to be in God's house. I'm going to be in God's family. I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And David's heart was loyal. So he had a believing heart. He had a loving heart. He had a loyal heart. And so what did God do? He looked down. He sought throughout the world. And what did he find? His testimony of David was, I found... David, son of Jesse, and I found that he had a a heart after my own heart. He had a heart after me. That's what God's testimony of David was. And so you look at David's heart. God sought out a man to replace Saul as king, and he found David, a man after his heart. You look at David's heart. And just the two or three, the three things that we've looked at tonight, and and you could really go on. I mean, this isn't an exhaustive study of the different attributes of of the characteristics that David demonstrated. I just chose like what I thought were like the top three, really, (laughs) you know, and you look at David's heart and you say, wow, you say, wow, this guy really, he did, He did he did have a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart. The guy had a heart after God. But if you know the the whole story of David's life, you know that David did some egregious things in his life. You know that he sinned in some horrible ways. Just remember the whole Bathsheba incident. Remember that particular incident when he had stayed behind from the battle and he looked over and saw Bathsheba, and he desired Bathsheba. Now, the the thing of it that was a sin about that was that that was another man's wife. There was something in this list of ten things that David knew about that that was on the list not to do. Amen? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Number ten on the list, the Ten Commandments. But He did. And he, and he coveted his neighbor's wife, Uriah was his name, the man who was married to Bathsheba. And so what did David do? He, As king, he put Uriah on the front lines of battle, and which is, was kind of a way of putting Uriah in the utmost of danger with a, a higher probability that Uriah would be killed. And so David did that. And of course, Uriah did fall in battle. And David took Bathsheba for himself. And this was just an egregious, egregious series of sins that David committed. And you look at it on one hand and you go, wow, he's a man after God's own heart. And then you look at the whole story, David, and you go, wow, he did some, like, pretty egregious things. And, and yeah, I, I use the word egregious, okay? So you have to just follow me on that one, okay? I like that word. Um, it really gets across the serious nature of the, of, the, of the stuff. And so you look at this, and you kind of, you're, it, it kind of is like, well, wait a second. How does this, how does this work out? How does this compute? How does, how does God factor this in his mind? That his testimony of David is that he found David to be a man after his own heart. Yeah, these sins and all those sins that David committed in his life were moral failures and complete lapses in judgment and wisdom. And you know, we, every one of us here, have either actively or in our minds, in our inside we've committed egregious sins as well and they were they were moral failures lapses in judgment and david when he was confronted about that the whole bathsheba thing you will remember when the prophet did confront him and actually put forth this analogy to him and he said, and, and, and Nathan said, what should happen to the man who, who did this? And, and, and David said, yeah, he should, he should be dealt with. He should have dealt with severely according to the law. And Nathan, the prophet, looked at him and he said, you are that man. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And he eventually wrote another song. Psalm, one, Psalm 51. You want to read a a psalm of repentance. True sorrow before the Lord. You you read Psalm 51, because that's the psalm that he wrote after he was confronted, found out about the Bathsheba thing. But we want to get to, we want to bring, we got to reconcile these two things. And how can you do it? None of these sins are sins that God cannot forgive. Not one of these sins that David committed. I mean, you could really put in coveting, adultery, you could put in even murder, really. You could just stack it up on David. but the reality is that not one of these sins is not, a, it, it is not something that God will forgive that God will forgive. Every last one of those sins, someone who comes to God and is truly repentant, God can forgive every one of those sins. God's grace for every sin is just an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. However, there is one sin. There is one sin that is not a forgivable sin. You say, what? Really? Really? Yeah, there is one. And it's the very first commandment. It's that the first commandment is the first commandment for a major reason. And I want to read it to you. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. God said this. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, to be a person after God's own heart, you could be guilty of all kinds of things. But to be a person after God's own heart, you cannot be a person in this category. You cannot. This is where God draws the line. This is where God says, no, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous for you. I want what's best for you. I want you to be with me. I want you to serve me. I don't want you going out after all the other gods. I don't want you going out after anything else. I want you to follow me, and you're going to be complete in me. You're going to be fulfilled in me. You're going to be forgiven. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to pour blessing. I'm going to pour grace. I'm going to pour abundant life into you, but you cannot go after other gods in your life. You can't do it. And so this was the command. This was the command. You shall have no other gods before me. David sinned, but he never turned his back on God. He never turned his back on God, on Yahweh God. And that's God's name. By the way, God is not his name. God is a generic term. God actually has a name and his name is Yahweh. When you read the Bible and you come to the word where it says Lord and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, look at it in your Bible, that is not just the word Lord. That is the name of God, which is Yahweh, which is Y-H-W-H. He is an exact person, God. He has a name. His name is Yahweh. And you shall have no other gods before him. That's the message. That's the message. Now I want to read to you uh, a scholar, Uh, his name is uh, Dr. David, or Dr. Michael Heiser, and he's a PhD in Hebrew and Semitic languages, and this is what he has to say about David on this particular issue. He said, David was guilty of the worst crimes against humanity. In the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, he was clearly in violation of the law and deserving of death. Nevertheless, his belief in who Yahweh was among all gods never wavered. God was merciful to him, sparing him from death, though his sin had consequences the rest of his life. But there was no doubt that David was ever a believer in Yahweh and never worshipped another. Yet the other kings of Israel, the other kings of Judah, what did they do? they were tossed aside and both kingdoms sent into exile because, why? Because they worshipped other gods and they brought the worship of other gods into the place of Israel. That was why that happened. Personal failure, even of the worst kind, did not send the nation into exile. Choosing other gods did. So whatever you've done, my friend, Whatever you've done can be forgiven. Can be forgiven. But you have to call upon the name of the Lord. You can take, you can take Mike down. I love Mike, but you can take him down now. <laughs> yeah, you can Yeah, take him down. Good. Okay, Mike's gone. <clears throat> wow, you say that's heavy-duty stuff, right? Well, it is heavy-duty. It's... it's, it's, it's I mean, if you're sitting here tonight, you'll never be able to say, well, no one ever told me the real deal, because I'm telling you the real deal tonight, and God loves you so much, and he wants you to serve him and serve him alone. Amen? So God can forgive you if you give your heart fully to him, and he will find that you have a heart after him, which brings us to our last point. Let's read verse 23. Said all that to say, let's go back to Acts 13, verse 23. And God said this, From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So, Jesus saves the lost. Jesus seeks the lost, and Jesus saves the lost. Jesus saves the lost. In Paul's gospel message, he relays that it is through David, David's seed, David's offspring, that God would save. It was to be one of David's offspring that would come and be the Savior for Israel. And Paul says that his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now you and I know this name. It's it's a Greek transliteration. His mom didn't call him Jesus, by the way. When Mary called out and said, hey, little Jesus, she didn't say Jesus. She spoke in, 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 in Hebrew and Aramaic, probably Aramaic, and, in, in, and he would have been called Yeshua, Yeshua, which in the Old Testament was Joshua. And if you look at the name Yeshua or Yehoshua, which is Yah, I told you about the name of God. God has a name. Yah, Shua. his name actually means God saves or Yahweh saves. That's what his name is. And so it was through David's seed, this man that God found, that he found, he sought and he found through the son of David he would be a savior to Israel and to the world. Amen. Yahweh saves. So this is what Jesus does. He saves. He saves. I want to quote one more verse for you and then we'll be all done tonight. In the opening chapters of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, after the Spirit had been given to the 120 that met in that upper room, Peter got up to to address the crowd and he preached a sermon. It was an awesome sermon. It was such an awesome sermon and God just Spirit moving in such powerful ways that 3,000 souls were saved on that particular occasion. And in the middle of the sermon peter the apostle quoting from the book of joel chapter 2 he said this in acts chapter 2 verse 21 whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved yeah the name the name the name of god the name of jesus amen because he's the savior the son of david the son of david He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so you just need to call on Him. Make Him your Lord. Make Him your King. Let Him be your Savior. And you will understand that Jesus, what does He do? He seeks and saves. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You, God, for Your Word. Lord, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray, Lord, you have spoken to us tonight, and I pray that you've spoken to each and every person that's here, from the youngest to the oldest and everyone in between. God, I pray, Lord, that your word has gone forth and your work to be done in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you came and you, to seek, and you are seeking, you are looking for those people that will call upon your name. You're looking to save whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, for every single person here, I pray that, Lord, we would be people after your own heart, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be people of belief in you. I pray, Lord, that we would be people of 2016 that would be able to look at situations, Lord, and just like David to say, yeah, God, you delivered me from the lion, the bear. Lord, you're going to deliver me from this giant standing, me, standing in front of me. God, I pray that we'd have a believing heart. Lord, I pray that we'd have a loving heart towards you, God. I pray that you would be our one desire. I pray, Lord, that, you, that we would surrender our hearts to you, Lord. And that you would be, as we've sung tonight, all that we want and more. Lord, I pray that we'd have a loyal heart. Just so loyal to you, God. Steadfast in our trust and our faith and our love. Lord, not moved by the circumstances. Not moved by the situations, Lord. Lord, that we would, just as David declared, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever.